Welcome to iHope. We're here to bring encouragement and comfort from the Bible so that you can have a more hope-filled life. We are so glad you joined us here today, and we invite you to embark on this journey of discovery of the power of God's Word and how it can shape our lives each day. So listen in and join us as we explore how the Bible can provide hope and direction in our lives. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to I Hope from Open Door Baptist Church in Denham Springs, Louisiana. I hope that you're having a great day. And we are about to jump into our last study, one-on-one, you and me together through Lamentations. Now, uh, two things before we get started. Number one, I think that I have called this Ecclesiastes multiple times by accident, and I am very sorry about that. I love both Lamentations and Ecclesiastes, and sometimes I get them confused because they're both sad. Number two, Uh, Thank you for your patience with some of the posting that we've done. Um, Although we have not had a 100% accurate posting schedule, this month has for sure been the least frequent and the least on time that we've done. Typically, we try to get episodes out at Tuesdays at 11 o'clock. And so um, thank you for your patience with this month and not having that consistency. Let's dive into Lamentations chapter 4. If you were to jump through the first uh, 21 verses of this, you're going to see a similar theme to what we've seen before. Jeremiah is lamenting this this status of Jerusalem specifically, Um, not just Israel as a whole, but especially Jerusalem itself. And so because of this, we see more of those themes, more beautiful word images, not beauty in the sense that it's portraying beauty just in the way that it's vivid, and it really causes your mind to to imagine what is going on there in Jerusalem. And so the first part of Lamentations 4 really brings us again face-to-face with the difficulty that is in life. And as you and I both know, our world is not a perfect one. Secret's out. And so for you and for me, Uh, In case you haven't noticed, you will have bad days, and I will have bad days, and whether you want to say that's because they're objectively bad or we ascribe value to them, saying that they're bad, whatever whatever mumbo-jumbo you want to come up with, at the end of the day, we feel bad days and we feel good days. We like life sometimes, and we don't like parts of life other times. Welcome to Jeremiah's world, the the world of Lamentations. So, he is lamenting the status of Israel, and specifically Jerusalem, and now he's going to call out to Jerusalem. He's, he's already made this appeal a few times, but he asks them to repent of their sin, and it seems like they do, because at the end of chapter 4 in verse 22, it says this, the punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. So, that means Jerusalem, um, that's that's a word picture, O daughter of Zion. That's a fancy word for Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, the punishment of your sin, your iniquity, is accomplished. It's done. In fact, he, he builds on this and he says, He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will visit thine iniquity, though, O daughter of Edom. He will discover thy sins. So he's going to shift it from Israel. And he says, you have repented. The punishment of your sins is over. He's never again going to carry you away into captivity. Now, uh, that could be a point of sticking for some people, but it's easily explained. Although Israel would again be captive by the Greeks and then the Romans, they would never again be carried away into captivity. 
the Greeks and Romans did not have habits of exporting Jews from, or any other conquered nation, from their conquered land into their own homeland, into Greece proper, or into Italy, where Rome was. So they would actually allow those nations to rule themselves, typically with some element of freedom, and even sometimes their own coinage or laws. And then they would just have them pay taxes back to the mother town or the mother mother country, uh, Greece or Rome. And so although Israel would again become captives, they would never again be carried away as captives. And so every word of God is true, and this is not withholding from that truth. So because God's word is inspired and because Jeremiah was a prophet directly in line with what God had said, he prophesied this, that Israel will no longer be carried away into captivity. He will, though, he finishes the verse with this. He will visit thine iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will discover thy sins. And the idea here is uh, the Babylonians who have actually captured you, and then later on the, the Medes and Persians who would take over the Babylonians, all of that. He will judge them for their sins. So it seems almost contradictory. Why would God have his chosen people uh, judged and taken into captivity by people who didn't even worship God. That doesn't make sense. If your goal is to get Israel to worship God better, then why would you force them into a land that does not even worship the same God? Well, uh, this passage refers to the fact that God is most certainly going to judge their sins and their um, idolatry and their failure to worship Yahweh or Jehovah. And so it's he's not withholding from that sin. Now, the first principle that I want you to walk away with is this, to repent of sin. Israel had repented of her sin, and that meant that God had finished the punishment. And so I think a lot of times we start out by seeing the difficulty in our situation, and we see the pain that we're enduring, but a lot of the times the issues that we face in life are because we cause them through sin. Uh, If we would just repent of our sin and turn away from it before it causes consequences, our lives would probably be easier than they are. And so the very first point that I'm walking away with from this passage today is to repent of sin. Don't forget to do that, because everything else that we talk about doesn't matter if you are just going to continually live in sin. So number one, repent of sin. Number two, a great takeaway from Lamentations 4 and 5 is this, remember God where you are. Repent of sin, and then remember God where you are. The verse 22 that we just looked at does not speak to God from a place of strength. Remember, he just spent 21 verses lamenting his situation. Jeremiah just talked about the difficulty that existed. So it's not like Jeremiah is coming after being sad and then cheering himself up enough to go be in God's presence. That's not how God wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to Him as we are. That does not mean that we are never to change. It does mean that God is the agent of change. And if we never are real with ourselves and real with Him, then how can we come to Him in truth and ask Him to help us change? So Jeremiah came to God where he was in his situation. He didn't try to change the situation to be good enough for God or to be optimistic enough for God or anything else like that. He just came to God where he was. And he remembered, even in his difficulty, he remembered God. And sometimes we struggle with that too. We want to fix our problems or we want to blame people or we want to get on to people or try to whatever. Somehow 
change the situation when instead we should be focusing on God where we are, not focusing on our situation, but on God. Number three, number one is repent of sin. Number two, remember God where you are. Number three, cry out to God for help. If you were to look in the next verse, Lamentations 5.1, it says, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Consider and behold our reproach. And then for the next several verses, he would break apart what that reproach was. What was the burden that Israel now had to bear? But he says to remember what has come upon us. It's not like God didn't know. Like God had caused all this to happen. It it wasn't like God was misinformed. I think sometimes we get too prideful to ask God for help. We forget that he is the only one who can actually change circumstances. We can influence circumstances, but he can change them. Uh, we can manipulate them, but he can change them at their very root. The difference between conforming and transforming is maybe a good word picture here. God, uh, we can conform our, our circumstances, and we can form them into little things that fit our mold, but we can never truly change the substance of what the circumstance is. God can And Jeremiah knew this. He cried out to God for help because no human could actually fix the problem. They could make the most of it, they could make it better, but they could not solve it. And he knew this because he didn't cry out to the people. In fact, if you were to go back to chapter 1, it describes Israel as being a widow, and she's crying out to everybody, and they're in fact making fun of her. So even if Jeremiah were to go to other people, He's part of the Israelite nation, so of course he's going to be lumped into this too. If he were to go cry out to other people and ask them for their help, appeal to them, then they would laugh at him. They would make fun of him. In fact, it says in chapter 4 that, uh, or in chapter 5, that they're even lower than the slaves. Like even slaves command the Israelites what to do. So do you genuinely believe that Jeremiah was going to be very successful by asking others for help? No, he had to cry out to God for help. And I know this is true in my own life because there have most certainly been circumstances where I needed something, I needed to fix something, or I needed help with something, but no people could, no person, I should say, could truly solve the problem. They could give band-aids, they could help make it better for a time, but they could not fix it. I think the problem is sometimes we get so focused on trying to fix things that we forget that God is the fixer, and we are just living through His plan. So cry out to God for help, not somebody else, and then never be too prideful to actually talk to Him. I think sometimes, too, we hear these these sermons, or maybe we just notice it as a pattern in people's lives where when things get bad, they want to go to God, they want to ask God for help. God, if you do this, then I'll serve you the rest of my life. And then they don't serve in the rest of our lives, their lives. And we see that bad pattern and we think, I don't want to be like them. So instead of being like them in the good way of crying out to God, we avoid that good action because we see the rest of their context. But if you're not someone with that kind of manipulative, deceitful, disingenuous character, then you don't have to worry about that. You're applying their character and painting it onto yourself when really you should just be characterizing yourself as, I am a child of God, He loves me, and He desires the best for me. And this is part of that desire. So this moment 
uh, God, I need your help because humanly I don't see any good in this, but you do because you are the one who can change circumstances and you are the one who can change the very identity of where I live in my life, how my life is going. And so don't cry out to people, but then also don't forget to cry out to God or don't be so proud as to not cry out to him. That's just foolish. So number one, repent of sin. Number two, remember God where you are. Number three, cry out to God for help. Number four, remember God's character. Uh, Sometimes we cry out to God, but we remember who God is through our own lens, not through the lens that is truthful. Sometimes we forget who God is himself, and that's not fair to him, and really it's, it's not helpful to us. If you want help from somebody and you ignore, okay, suppose a robber were to come into your house and you're going to call 911, but you refuse to call it because you don't believe that 911 can truly help you. Uh, how helpful are you being to your own circumstance? The same thing happens whenever we paint God in a light that is not realistic. Um, I'm fairly certain that a squad of police officers is going to help you in your home invasion far better than your avoidance just based on an assumption. The same thing happens whenever we avoid God based on the assumption that he doesn't care or based on the assumption that he caused this, so why on earth would he ever deliver me? I don't know, maybe because he wants to see your faith. We assume these things about God without ever even asking God about the things. And I think that's a true life lesson for most areas of life. I think people like to paint things over, uh, or paint reasoning. They use the word because, um, and they use this about God and about people. In people's context, they look at something that someone did against them or for them, and they say, well, they did that because of their home life, or they did this because when they were a kid, X, Y, Z, or they did this because she said this to him. And they always paint with the word because And sometimes that is correct, but typically it's not. And I've learned that the hard way too. Assumptions are usually foolish. And usually they're based on almost no context on the actual situation. Assumptions are based on assumption. And it is foolish to make assumptions about people. It's even more fool. And and the Bible says that a fool is the kind of person who answers a matter before he's actually heard it. So don't be foolish and and assume things about people, but especially don't be foolish and answer things about God. We forget his character. If you look in verse 19, it says, Thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation. And then he goes on and he asks, um, did you forget us? And the answer is obviously no. In fact, he states, he, he prefaces his questions, did you forget us? And then later, um, have you rejected us? He didn't reject or forget Israel. And we can know that Jeremiah knew this, number one, because he was still praying to him. Why would you pray to somebody that you knew rejected you? And number two, because he said that the Lord remains forever. He's faithful. And not only is he faithful during my lifetime, Jeremiah says, but from generation to generation. He's faithful forever. And if God is faithful forever, then why would he have left Israel? He didn't. In fact, if God did forget Israel, then why would the judgment be over at chapter 4? How does Jeremiah know that Israel would no longer be carried away into captivity 
how would how would they be carried away if they never returned from to the land? Well, they returned to the land. Jeremiah knew that they must at some point return to the land that God had promised them. And God before had promised that that land would be Israel's forever. In fact, there would be an eternal king who ruled from Jerusalem. So if God is a liar, then none of these things would matter. So why would he promise a restoration to the Israeli people? Jeremiah wasn't foolish. He knew God's character in that he was a faithful God who loved Israel. And although a loving father has to punish his children sometimes, the loving father still loves. And there is still a fix after sin. There is still uh, forgiveness after repentance. And Israel needed to learn this the hard way. Israel has been apostate. They'd walked away from God, and yet he forgave them. And yet the punishment was over soon. And we know that this is true because if you look at history, that uh, exile only lasted for about 70 years. And really, if you go back, like the average lifespan of that time was a generation and a half. So Jeremiah's generation died, and their children were the ones who went back with Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra and Malachi, and they all returned back to Israel to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the temple. And that would be the nation, the seed of the nation, that would soon birth Jesus a few hundred years later. So when we remember God's character, we remember that he's faithful, even though our circumstance doesn't maybe look like it. And that's, I think, a really important lesson for at least me in my context. Um, Sometimes remembering God's character is the hard part. It's easy to assume. It's hard to remember. And so use the Bible and let it teach you who God is. Don't just assume. And then finally, number five, plead with God based on his character. If you were to look at chapter 5, verse 19 through the end in verse 22, it says, Thou, O Lord, remainest forever, thy throne from generation to generation. Wherefore dost thou forget us forever? Or why do you forget us forever and forsake us so long time? The idea, he's almost using, he's almost being sarcastic. Uh, Maybe not sarcastic. He's using a negative question, a question that is um, opposite of the truth. He's saying, God, you are true forever and you're faithful forever. So why are you forgetting us? Well, the answer is he's not forgetting you forever. He's just judging you for a time. Now that forever might feel like a while for people on earth, but the fact is God is outside of time and God created time. And so if it feels like a long time, maybe it's just because that's God's timing. Number 21, uh, verse 21 says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. So he doesn't cry out to God like, hey, fix what you broke. He says, turn us to you because we broke this. Remember, the focus is on God's goodness and their objection to that goodness. It's not on God's badness for causing the problem. And then he says, renew us our days as of old. And then verse 22, but you've utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. He says, right now you're angry with us. I know that. But turn us back to you so that you don't have to be angry anymore. And the prayer is on behalf of all of Israel. And if you pay attention, you know that that happens. A remnant returns. A remnant goes back and rebuilds the walls. They rebuild the temple. A remnant returns to Jehovah worship. A remnant pays attention to what God has for them. 
and that remnant would grow into the entire nation of Israel, which soon, a few hundred years later, would birth the Messiah. Lamentations 4 and 5. Number 1, repent of sin. Number 2, remember God where you are. Number 3, cry out to God for help. Number 4, remember God's character. And number 5, plead with God based on his character. If we remember those five applications, we're going to free ourselves from the things that don't matter and tie ourselves to the things that do. Um, In the business world, poor people do the wrong things, rich people do the right things, and super wealthy people only do the right things. And if you look at your spiritual world, for instance, as a bank account, your bank account will be poor if you do the wrong things. If you're living in sin, if you're assuming things about God, if you're not remembering who He is, ignoring Him, uh, then you're you're spiritually going to be poor. You'll be spiritually rich if you do a lot of these right things, but you can be spiritually wealthy um, and someday materially wealthy in the new heaven and the new earth if you only do the right things. Repent of sin, remember God where you are, cry out to God for help, remember God's character, and plead with Him based on His character. Hope that these five applications are helpful to you, and I can't wait to join with you next week. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you've been encouraged by I Hope, why not share it with a friend or leave us a review? Until next week, God bless.